0: Welcome to Logos Live. I'm Robert Martin, Director of the City Bible Forum in Melbourne, and I'm your host for the show. Logos is Greek for word or message, and Logos Live engages the Christian message before a live audience in the CBD of Melbourne. And do we have a live audience here today? Are they alive? And we also aim to have a bit of fun. Who said exploring the big questions of life shouldn't be enjoyable? What are the casualties of your busy life? How do you go beyond merely surviving? In this series of Logos Live, Time Poor, Soul Rich, we engage the difficulties busy workers face in developing a rich soul. And we're privileged to have someone join us for whom the concept of time poor, soul rich resonates deeply. Anne Winkle is a farmer's daughter who planned to be a school teacher, but quite unexpectedly ended up on a different career path. After studying at the University of Adelaide, she then worked in education before completing a master's in constitutional law after which she became a legal recruitment consultant. She subsequently started her own executive search business, Delta Partners, and Anne is also the author of Time Poor Soul Rich, a new book aimed at helping the inescapably busy develop a rich soul. Please welcome Anne Winkle. Yeah. Welcome, man. It's great that you can join us. Thanks, Rob. Um, Now, it's great to have you here talking about Time Poor, Soul Rich. Now, as we start Logos Live, we usually like to hear a little bit about our guest. Now, you're a Christian believer, and you grew up in a Christian home on a farm. But the way your father became a Christian believer is intriguing. Can you tell us what happened?
1: I actually grew up with lots of stories from my parents about encounters with God. So I couldn't escape that when I was a kid. Mm -hmm. And the story of how my dad became a Christian is fascinating because he grew up in a non-Christian family. Uh, By the time he was in his early twenties, he he was a stockman. He used to be a very, he was a shy stockman. So he rode his horse around a big station in the country and he basically was pretty depressed by the time he was in his early twenties. In fact, this particular day he was driving in a car and feeling quite suicidal and felt life wasn't giving him what he was looking for, and he was flicking through the radio stations. This is actually a radio story. He got to a radio station that had a preacher on it, and he went to flick on, except that the words that came out of the voice of the preacher were, and if you're driving along in a car and you're feeling suicidal, so he paused and listened. And interestingly, the preacher went on to talk about Jesus and what it meant that Jesus died on the cross and what it meant to become a Christian. And the, the preacher said the sinner's prayer at the end. He said, if you want to know God, you know, pray this prayer with me. And apparently the way my dad tells the story, he, apparently he prayed the sinner's prayer a bit tongue in cheek. Like he wasn't overly earnest about it but what happened was remarkable he got zapped by god and he drove off the road onto the side of the road absolutely having had an encounter with the living god and then he was so excited he had to find a church and, and like he started to pursue the idea of getting baptized because he knew was that was the next thing he had to do um so he joined a church to get baptized then and, and then unjoined it because he didn't want to be a member of a church but he did want to get baptized <laughs>
0: right wow. so
1: yeah he thoroughly met god unexpectedly by listening to the radio <laughs> wow
0: there's yeah. so- so if you're listening to this in the radio, <laughs> just stay on the road. Is that what you're suggesting? Or? Stay, listening. <laughs> stay listening. Stay listening. Stay down. listening. Okay. So that shaped obviously your childhood. And yes. uh, whilst you would have always claimed to have been a Christian believer yourself, there's one particular instance when you were 16, <laughs> which was particularly formative in your thinking. I so, knew you were
1: going to bring that up. Well, yeah,
0: well, tell us what happened. It's, it's an interesting well, story
1: i do i don 't really remember not kind of believing that God was out there, and of course, when you 've got very prayerful parents it's easy to sort of rely on their coat straps if you know what I mean, but when I was sixteen, I was getting a bit older, and I decided I needed to talk to God more myself and i was I was kind of fancying this particular guy who was a, a Skiing instructor, I hope he's not listening. <laughs> and I, he was 19, I was 16, and I knew that all the couples at the beach were going up onto Lover's Lane to sort of do nookie. And as a good Christian girl, I decided I needed to check out with God what this meant. So I actually said a prayer, very, very specific prayer. Dear God, how far can I go? And I, uh, you know, I really wanted an answer and bizarrely into my head came an answer immediately and I didn't know what it meant. A Bible verse popped into my head. Seriously, Romans 12, 1 and 2. And I didn't know what that So i'm like flicking through my bible what is this what is this and you know what it said said you know by the mercies of god let your body be a living sacrifice holy and acceptable to god which is your spiritual worship and i'm thinking darn (laughs) because i was looking for specific instructions i I mean i wasn't gonna sleep with the guy i just wanted to know how far could i go and clearly god was saying not very (laughs) and i was like oh, that's not what I was looking for. And I completely ignored it, went up onto lover's lane with the chap. It was very, you know, it was, there's nothing serious to going, much going on, but I knew and that we
0: are, I, we are a G-rated child. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. yeah. No, no, G-rated no, nothing. Show. Nothing <laughs> terribly
1: bad happened, but I knew I had completely ignored the answer that God had given me. And what was really interesting was, you know, the story of Adam and Eve in the garden. When Adam and Eve supposedly sinned and um, did the naughty thing by eating the fruit on the tree, they couldn't look God God in the eye. And it says they went and hid. Well, I was doing that. I could not look God in the eye. And literally I couldn't talk to God for about two weeks or three weeks. I just could not look God in the eye. I knew I disobeyed or if you like, just ignored his kind of advice until this particular Sunday when my dad was preaching. He was a lay preacher in the church and he was talking about Why Jesus died for us. And I was, you know, having grown up in a Christian home, I knew the answers to all the questions. And he said, you know, what did Jesus die to free us from? And I'm thinking, yeah, yeah, Jesus died to free us from sin. And I was so not listening to my father's preaching. Is that Uh,
0: common? Did you often not listen (laughs) to what he said? (laughs) My
1: dad's not listening either. (laughs) No, no, no. I used to listen. But, you know, right then I was in this guilt thing. So my dad boomed out this answer. He goes, Jesus died to free us from the guilt of sin. And I had this little mini revelation that, in fact, guilt was the very thing that we were meant to be freed from. So I was kind of relieved to hear that wow, at that's the right. time.
0: Well, thanks so much for sharing <laughs> that, Anne. That's That's terrific. Um, now, today we're talking about time poor, soul rich. And it's very common for people not to make our Logos Live recordings here in the CBD of Melbourne because they're too busy. But we do try to have a little bit of fun here on Logos Live. Um, so as the author of a book dealing with time poverty, I thought I'd test you with a little quick quiz on how well do you know time-saving devices? Right. According to some internet list I found on Google, which is the greatest time-saving invention in history? Was it A, the wheel, B, the internet, C, television, or D, the robotic vacuum cleaner?
1: Well, I actually know what a survey re- showed in relation to this. Oh, really? Oh, I you do. You actually have some real answers. I have yeah. some, I have some <laughs> statistics. Apparently, a survey was done by Hotmail, I think, right. or one of those kind of crowds. And men picked the computer. Right. Women picked the washing machine. Oh, right. Well,
0: that yeah. wasn't one of the answers. I know. So. <laughs> I'm going with the wheel. The wheel. Well, you're correct. Congratulations. Give me a little, little applause. That's right. Yeah. Okay. Um Apparently, this this list suggests the top three greatest time-saving devices of all time were the wheel, money, and they even had television. So, is there anything that's worked for you to save time?
1: Oh goodness me, lots of time management seminars. I, I think <laughs> saving <laughs> saving time. I, I, I'm not. I don't think that any of us are very good at it. That's why I wrote the book because. That, What my book's about is not having any time and still maintaining a rich soul. I think this modern day and age, we are so busy with all of the time-saving devices that have got out of control. I mean, let's face it, I would say the aeroplane is an amazing time-saving device and the motor vehicle, but now we have traffic jams. We have email, which is fabulous. I mean, letters don't take very long anymore but email is instant but what that means if we is we have communications via text and email i mean you have to be at your computer to get email but text messages can come right through the night if you leave your phone on Mm -hmm. we can have people communicating with us instantly we have so much to do with all of the communications that now all over us and television's terrible because now how many stations are there in america like hundreds Mm -hmm. and in australia free to air there's like stacks of them as well. There's so much to choose from, so much to negotiate. We just don't have the space that we expect to have. Yeah.
0: Well, we'll talk a bit more about that as we go on, but also it relates to the second question that we have. this quiz on time-saving devices. So in the book, Time for Life, The Surprising Ways in Which Americans Use Their Time, the authors outline how much extra time, time-saving technology in general, saved the average American. Was it A, 15% saving, B, 30% saving, C, a 50% saving, or D, no saving at all.
1: I'm going no saving at all.
0: It's correct. It actually is D, no saving at all. They concluded that simply the presence of technology was largely unrelated to time spent doing housework. I can understand in some ways, like my dad got a coffee machine once and it took him 45 minutes to make a cappuccino. (laughs) And so this is kind of related to what you've just talked about, but the presence of technology assists us or burdens us in our use of time.
1: Well I think it just accumulates the amount of information and access to information that we have and therefore at our fingertips there's so many more choices. We just have to learn how to negotiate and manage that better.
0: Mm. So Mark Forstein asked, have all the time-saving devices actually saved us any time or have they just created a million fetishes and obsessions that keep us from the quiet half hour we should be taking to sit and do nothing every day? Do you agree?
1: Ooh, that's loaded should we be spending a half an hour doing nothing every day
0: would your boss appreciate that do you think if you did it in the uh, afternoon at three o'clock this is my time to do nothing hopefully
1: Uh. it's done in your own time not when you're (laughs) being paid as a boss i would say that i actually have a friend who who had to learn that five minutes of reflection before a meeting was a valid use of work time because she was such a workaholic uh she felt that she needed to readjust her brain to accept that five minutes of reflection was a useful part of her business life as opposed to feeling like she was wasting time. So I think there is a place for silence and reflection. I'm a big believer in retreats. I'm a big believer in at least a day or two days a year where you just go away on your own, don't have a television, and just reflect on the year past and reflect on the year to come to prioritise. I'm a really big believer in that. Mm, That
0: sounds great. Anyway, so in our time-saving device quiz, you got... Two out of two corrects. So I give Anne a big round of applause for 100%.
1: Yay! <laughs> <laughs> and um, I it, didn't have the answers in advance. No, so I'd just like to clarify that's that. Right, yeah. <laughs> now, in
0: 1930, the famous economist John Maynard Keynes claimed that his children and great-grandchildren will only have to work 15 hours a week. The rest would be leisure. Why was Keynes so wrong?
1: He was speaking about the time-saving devices that he could see coming in, like the motor vehicle and other communications, telephone and all that sort of thing. And, of course, it hasn't helped. It's just burdened us further, given us more things to negotiate.
0: So we are all busy. Have you met anyone who isn't busy?
1: No. I think surfies <laughs> are that busy. They're pretty chilled out. So right. I reckon the surfy culture is one of the most chilled-out cultures I've seen.
0: So what are the casualties of a busy life?
1: Well... I, I've got this book where I look at 16 different casualties and I think people are a major casualty. So, you know, the things that we give to other people like generosity, but intimacy with others is a big casualty. The world around us is another one of my categories. And I look at things like beauty. I, I'm a big believer that we don't open our eyes to beautiful things anymore. So seeing the sunset when you're walking home at night, instead of looking down or thinking about work, is just such a basic soul enriching thing. And it's, acknowledging and appreciating beauty is a huge casualty of our lives and then all the internal stuff serenity is a big casualty I think wisdom is a big casualty of busy lives because we've got information but that's not necessarily wisdom um or discernment I think spirituality is a big casualty I think you know other things like creativity for me a big big casualty of life was creativity I just neglected that for a long time Mm. Not so much anymore.
0: So what do you mean by creativity? What would you do?
1: Well, for everybody, that's different. I think we all have a creative thing in us. Some people love to paint. Some people love to write. That would be me. Some people, um, <clears throat> you know, they, they love to make things out of wood or tin or, or clay. And I think everybody's got a creative bent. It might be singing. It might be acting. And there's something in us that makes us want to make stuff. And it's easily thought of as, you know, primary school stuff. So you're not meant to do it when you're grown up. And I just think there's something really soul enriching about being creative. We're all created by a creative God. I mean, look at the mountains, my goodness. So <laughs> look at platypuses, that's what they say. <laughs> so we, you know, we are inherently creative people. And I think that's something that makes us feel good.
0: Now, you felt the casualties of a busy life at several points in your life. But there was one point in particular where you felt this most acutely.
1: You mean when I was in my 20s after university? Yeah,
0: and you said you were brain dead?
1: Yeah. yeah. So I'd been at university for six years overloading to get law arts and a diploma in education. I'd also gone into school teaching and taught three different year 12 subjects in three years which is a big load when you're a new teacher to learn that kind of stuff and I got to the third year or fourth year of being a school teacher and I literally I was so worn out that one of my colleagues brought me her thesis she'd written or some literature thesis and I loved literature she brought it to me and I opened the front page and I looked at it and then I just closed the book and gave it back to her and said I can't even begin to read this and I was an English teacher I could not open and read her
0: read a book as no, a teacher.
1: No, I got to the point where my brain was fatigued and I was tired and I just needed a sabbatical actually. Yeah,
0: and that's what you did, wasn't it? Took <clears throat> I did.
1: I took a year off. Yeah. It would have had other reasons. We won't go into those, but I did take mm-hmm. a year off work, which was lovely when I was 29. And I did feel like my brain regrew. So there is a place for taking time out. But after that, I really was looking for ways of not letting that happen again, which is why I talk about having a rich soul when you're time poor, you know, sort of maintaining that rather than letting yourself get right down to the dregs of being burnt out.
0: And so you wrote a book about it?
1: Just recently, yes. Yes. And so how
0: does how does what you said in the book help?
1: Well, I, I talk about 60-second solutions. So my theory is we are all-time poor. We don't have much... ...base in our lives and that's by nature of the society we live in and and it might be that we're also self-sabotaging where we are so well trained in time management that we're, we're taught to avoid distractions and therefore we never take time out of the day to do things that are soul enriching. So I talk about 60 second solutions... That means an intentional, mindful 60-second distraction which you have to allow into your day. And it might be as simple, and I do this in my office, when you know, the atmosphere isn't quite as cheerful as I might like, I play a funny dog YouTube clip. I just think dogs are gorgeous. So I might play a funny YouTube clip only for 30 seconds or 60 seconds to make everybody laugh. Or it might be that you do have a beautiful picture on your wall that you intentionally take a look at. Or it might be that you ring a friend and say, we must catch up. Now, that doesn't take much time. The catching up takes more time time, yes. but the planning to catch up only takes 60 seconds.
0: Yeah. Any, any more suggestions?
1: I, I've got eight different categories, actually. <laughs> Being grateful, just taking a minute out of the day to reflect on the thing you're grateful for. Maybe keep it a gratitude journal. People do that. Um, I've got a category for the time poor prayer. You know, when all else fails, look for divine intervention. Dear God, please help. That doesn't take very long to pray. <laughs> no. um, I've got a category for... Doing a bit of research. So if you're really keen to to use your creative instincts, for instance, do a 60-second Google search for online painting courses and make a note to call them later. So a lot of my 60-second solutions are preparing for a lengthier remedy later, but you can definitely pick up the phone to a mentor or a counsellor or a sounding board to, to run by a problem. I also talk about, you know, things in the workplace. So, for instance, when you're about to make a cup of coffee, ask a friend or a colleague, Do you want me to make you a cup of coffee? Because that is a blessing to them and it makes you feel good and it doesn't take very long.
0: Right. So basically you're planning to make distractions. Soul-enriching distractions. Soul-enriching distractions. It's not just uh, (laughs) other things. What do you mean by a rich soul?
1: I had to think long and hard about this. Obviously, if I'm writing a book about being rich in soul, there's got to be a definition. And I talk about if being rich in soul equates to having internal well-being inner calm, wholeheartedness, contentment, finding warmth from the people in your life, satisfaction from a higher purpose in your heart, a spring in your step, refreshment of spirit, and the good old Christmas trilogy of love, joy, and peace. That's kind of what I mean by rich soul. Internal well-being, basically. Right,
0: yeah. yeah. Okay, terrific. Now, you're a Christian believer, as you've mentioned before. What difference has this made in your perspective on time and soul enrichment?
1: Well, definitely I see every, every day as a gift, I think, you know, life is short. We don't know when we will die. That is a fact. Um, I've had enough car accidents in my life to know that my life is, you know, not my own. And I think life is hard and I think life is full of ups and downs. And the fact that God is present with us in the ups and the downs is what makes the difference
0: hmm. well as part of logos live we do reflect on the scriptures the logos and we're going to explore some of these issues in a section of the old testament a psalm psalm 90 uh, i'm just going to read out verses 10 and 12 our days may come to 70 years or 80 if our strength endures yet the best of them are but trouble and sorrow for they quickly pass and we fly away And then verse 12 says, teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. So what do you make of these verses?
1: Well, actually, the fact that it says, you know, life is trouble and sorrow (laughs) is
0: Is very true. Is that depressing or realistic? No,
1: no, I think one of the things I like about the Judeo-Christian way of looking at the world is it makes sense of the world. We are told that we are created by a good and holy God and that we are meant to be productive and good. But... Human beings as a a group have turned away from our Creator, and therefore things go awry, and that's the way we are. We live in a world with lots of promise, but things don't make sense, and there's a lot of trouble and sorrow, and Christianity explains that, which makes a lot of sense to me. But God is present in it. I guess that's why it says, you know, teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom, because I'm always, I like that idea of praying for wisdom. There's something in the Bible that says if you ask God for wisdom, he'll give it to you. I'm always asking for that So
0: what exactly is a heart of wisdom, though?
1: Well, isn't wisdom being more reflective about the decisions we make and the choices we make and the things we believe and and finding a structure in which to understand the world that is bigger than expediency? To me, the opposite to wisdom is expediency. We just act and react. Wisdom is applying some greater thought and intentional kind of just discernment to what's going on around us. Why does
0: then numbering our days lead to wisdom?
1: Well, I think if we live forever, you can live, you can be slack. If we think that we are invincible, you don't have to be kind of vigilant about your days. I, I think the fact that we know our days are numbered, that every day is a gift and that we have to live with integrity every day makes a difference. Mm. You know, it's like those people who say, always kiss your loved ones when you leave the house because you don't know if you're coming back. It sounds depressing, but <laughs> it's actually, given that given that one day my my father-in-law went off to play a game of squash and then had a heart attack and died, I think his wife was very glad that he'd kissed her that day. Right,
0: yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. Well, well Sammati extends that theme a bit and makes a time comparison between God and humanity. So God is eternal and humanity is temporary. So for example, in verse four, it says a thousand years in your sight are like a day that has just gone by. How does this comparison impact the way that we number our days?
1: The fact that God is eternal. Yeah.
0: And that we're temporary.
1: Well, my simple way of answering that is in everything, God is bigger than us. And that's a really good thing. And he sees the beginning and the end and we can never know the end from the beginning. We can never know where things are going, but we can know that he knows. And that's really helpful.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, Uh, Verse 14, I particularly, I've found verse 14 particularly enriching at the moment. Um, Do you think it's promoting deep soul enrichment? Satisfy us in the morning with your unfailing love that we may sing for joy and be glad all our days.
1: Well, I believe that God has unfailing love and I have experienced that. And I think anyone who experiences God's love would have to feel that that's the most soul enriching thing. Because there's... There's a story at the end of my book about a woman who tried everything in my book pretty much. She tried to be creative, she tried to be generous, she tried to be, you know, charitable and she did all sorts of creative pursuits. She got involved in all sorts of community justice endeavors, but she still felt like there was a hole inside. And actually for her the final Penny dropped when she – because she grew up Catholic and she knew, technically she knew that God was meant to love her, but she didn't know what that meant. She didn't understand what it meant in practice. So for her, finally discovering what it meant that God loved her made all the difference to how she felt in her heart, how she felt in times of storm. She felt that she didn't have to live in fear and guilt and worry anymore, that God was with her and that that meant something bigger than just an intellectual understanding. Mm.
0: I and mean, this verse also mentions singing. Is there something soul enriching about song?
1: I am sure there's something soul enriching about song. I think if somebody were listening to me singing, they might not find that soul enriching.
0: <laughs> well, we could give that a go if you no, like, I don't think so. <laughs> No, no, that would be very unwise. <laughs> uh, sorry, I'm not, but singing, but sorry, but singing uh, in general no, is no, not no, no. enriching. Yeah. I,
1: look, I think that there are there's a, there's another story in my book about a woman who just loves to sing. And in fact, I had a boss who used to sing when he came into work. He would always sing a line of a song. It was always just one line of a random song as he walked into the office, and it was hilarious. And it just buoyed the office. It was good.
0: Wow, that's, yeah. Uh, Do you have any particular suggestions for songs that people could sing when they return to their offices this afternoon? No, I do not. (laughs) 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 Now, what about for someone who maybe isn't a Christian believer? Um, Can they develop a richness in soul?
1: Absolutely. I mean... All of the things I write about in my book are soul-enriching inherently. If you look at the sunset and you are grateful for the beauty, that's, that's going to give you joy. If you're generous-hearted and you give to other people, that will give you joy. If you are creative, you will get joy out of that. Um, these things are inherently soul-enriching. I'm not suggesting that a person can't be rich in their soul if they're not a Christian. I do believe that there are people who still feel, though, that there's something missing and there is another way forward for them
0: and that's what this soul enrichment with the unfailing love of the lord perhaps would fulfill as your other friend shared
1: yeah absolutely
0: yeah now the psalm also concludes in verse 17 with may the favor of the lord our god rest on us establish the work of our hands for us so in light of god's eternity and our finitude how does this change our view of what we do (laughs)
1: <laughs> it's interesting. I often pray that prayer. Oh dear God, please establish the work of my hands. In other words, <laughs> I'm working really hard. Please bless the work I do. But I think the point is that work sometimes goes well and work sometimes is crappy. Yep. <laughs> and so if we know that God is bigger than us, what we're really saying is not you're a candy dispenser in the sky, please bless my work. We're saying, I want you to be a part of the the establishment of my work or I I guess I believe there are good times and bad times and God is with us in both of those and and because God is bigger than everything we do it's great to ask him to establish the work of our hands but we ought not be surprised when sometimes the work of our hands comes to nothing because that's the that's the world we live in and that's what it
0: says at verse 10 that the best of them are but trouble and sorrow for they they quickly pass and we fly away
1: so it's not that it's not that God gives us success all the time. It's that God is with us even when things aren't going well. But that doesn't mean we shouldn't ask him to establish what we do and make it purposeful.
0: Now, my question has come through. Uh, how did you find the time to write the book? Uh, this person's trying to find to better leverage their own time to fit more in.
1: Well, that's a very good question. I actually had to give up something to write this book. I'd been thinking about it for years. I really wanted to write it. This is two years ago. And I was at the time the convener of a group for professional women called the Soul Food Breakfast Club. And in order to fit in the book writing, I had to step down from being the convener of that group because that was quite time consuming. So I had to literally let something go in order to make space. And then the other big thing I did was I I made a decision that every Saturday at 2 o'clock, I would sit down and write for two hours. So, And I gave myself a year, but it actually took two years. So this book got written on a Saturday afternoon. And if if I couldn't sit down at 2 o'clock, it had to be 4 o'clock. And if I couldn't sit down on a Saturday, it had to be Sunday afternoon. And this book got basically written in chunks on weekends Over two years. But
0: there were some sacrifices you had to make along the way or some changes. But
1: for me, writing is the creative outlet that gives me great joy. So I really love it. I mean, truthfully, when I got down to it, if I spent two hours, I probably spent four hours. But the thing was that I loved taking ideas and making order out of chaos. So for me, the process of putting the book together was very enjoyable. And there are photos in there, and I always say to people, there's a bit of a where's Wally thing with the photos. (laughs) If you see the photos in the book, you'll see there's something special going on. I had great fun putting those photos together. Sounds
0: great. So Anne, Time Poor, Soul Rich, how do we cultivate the things that are really important?
1: I think we have to live more intentionally, and I think we have to consider those things that are soul enriching things like you know the people in our lives the beauty around us the creativity in our souls protecting our serenity you know all of that good stuff love is one of the casualties of a busy life we have to look at the things that we neglect um possibly you know a relationship with God might be something we've been neglecting all our lives and we have to think about how do we reintroduce those things and protect them and maintain them and and nurture them and I think you can do that with very little expenditure of time if you're intentional
0: Let me leave you with the Logos for the day Psalm 90 verse 12 Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom I look forward to you joining us next time for Logos Live Please thank our guest today Anne Winkle